0: Verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, it Is it possible but that offenses will come? But woe unto him through whom they come. Were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and cast into the sea, that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. If he repent, forgive him his trespass against thee, and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. In our very first lesson of this series, I identified to you two groups of people, two major categories of people who are offended. Number one there are those who have been genuinely mistreated. I hope everybody will lend me your ear tonight. The first category are those who have been genuinely mistreated. And then there are those that think they have been mistreated, but actually were not. In this lesson tonight, I want to address the first category. Those people who have been genuinely mistreated by someone. I want to begin this series lesson tonight with a question. And this question will be offensive. So I need you to listen very carefully. If you have been genuinely mistreated by someone, do you have the right to be offended by it? Its a tough question, man, because I know there's people here tonight that have been treated very badly, bad, bad, bad. I don't know that anybody here tonight that has been physically just been beaten down by somebody physically, emotionally, spiritually. To answer that question tonight, let me expound a moment on that question. If you've been genuinely mistreated, you have a right to be offended. Do you feel like offense or being offended is an entitlement? I have a right, Pastor when my feelings have been hurt really bad, when I have been emotionally shell-shocked by somebody, when somebody has treated me inappropriately, harshly, rude, deliberate, what have you, I feel like, and I think most people do, including myself, that I have a right, it's, it's an entitlement, to, to spend some space of time angry, hurting, pouting, grudge-toting, feeling vindictive, etc. To answer that question and, and the expounding that I just did on it, I would like for us to take a look at a man's life in the Old Testament that I'm sure most everybody in this crowd probably knows his story pretty well. And I'm going to go through it tonight as briefly as I can. But it is the, it's, I want to talk to you tonight about the life of Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's 11th son. I realize that he had sons by other wives and women which somehow back in those days, I guess, was legal. Thank God it's not today. (laughs) Hallelujah. But as we all know, Joseph was despised by his older brothers because of the favor that his father gave to him and had set him apart from the other brothers by giving him a coat of many colors. God gave Joseph two dreams, and, and I'll go quickly tonight as I can, quickly as I can through this. But in the first dream, he saw bound sheaves in a field. His sheaf arose and stood upright while his brother's sheaves bowed down to it. His second dream was he saw the sun, moon, and 11 stars representing his father, mother, and brothers bowing to him. And when he told these dreams to his brothers, needless to say, they did not share in his enthusiasm. They hated him even more, and they felt an entitlement to do that. They felt like we have a right to hate our brother. Shortly after that, his ten older brothers went to feed their father's flocks in the field, and Jacob sent Joseph out to them to see how they were doing. When the older brothers saw Joseph come, and they said, conspired against him saying, here comes the dreamer, let's kill him. Then we shall see what becomes of his dreams. He says, and I want you to notice that. uh, they, They were very careful to add that last little piece of that. Here comes the dreamer, let's kill him. Then we will see what will happen to his dreams. They're dream killers. They're brother killers and dream killers. He says he is going to be a a leader, a ruler over us. Let him try to lead us and rule over us when he's dead. So they threw him in a pit to die. They took his coat away, tore it, stained it with animal's blood to convince their father he had been devoured by a wild beast. And after they threw him into the pit, they saw a company of Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. And Judah said, Wait a minute guys if we let him rot in that pit it will not profit us so let's sell him as a slave and make profit off of our brother while we're killing his dreams he will be as good as dead and we will never again he'll never again bother us and then we'll share in the spoils of selling him so they sold him for 20 pieces of silver Joseph had offended them, so they betrayed him. Joseph offended them, so they betrayed him, as though two wrongs would make a right. But I want you to notice what happened when they did that. They took away his inheritance. They took away any hope of him having a family. And keep in mind that these are brothers who did this. Now, as Americans, our culture is so different that it's hard for us to understand the severity of what these brothers did to their brother. Only killing him would have been worse. In biblical times, as you all know, it was very important for a man to have sons. A man's sons carried his name and inherited all that he had. Joseph's brothers, through this one single act of betrayal, kept him from ever receiving his father's name because when you're sold as a slave, your name is stripped away from you, so you lose your identity. So his father's name was taken away from him and his father's inheritance was taken away from him. So they blotted his name out, completely stripping him of his identity. When a person was sold as a slave to another country, he remained a slave until he died. The woman he married would be a slave, and all of his children would be slaves. So any hope that Joseph had in his future was completely taken away in that one act of betrayal. because he offended them Joseph was sold to a man named Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh a captain of the guard he served him for about 10 years as time went on Joseph found favor with his master and was treated well Potiphar set Joseph over his household and all that he had and at the same time that conditions was looking up for Joseph something very wrong was brewing in the life or in the the wife of his master she had cast longing eyes on him and wanted To commit adultery with him, and she tried daily to seduce him, and he kept refusing. So one day she was alone with him in the house and cornered him and insisted that he lie with her. He refused and ran out, leaving his robe in her clutched hand. And when he did this, she was shamed and screamed rape, essentially. Potiphar and Joseph, uh, Potiphar had Joseph thrown into Pharaoh's prison. Now, Pharaoh's prison was nothing like our prisons in America. There was no sunlight. There was no gymnasiums, no workout areas, no exercise yard, no privileges. It was basically a sunken room or pit void of light and any warmth at all. Conditions ranged from crude to dehumanizing. Prisoners were put there to rot as they survived on the bread and water of affliction, according to 1 Kings 22.7. They were given just enough food to survive so they could suffer. So let's try to hear Joseph's thoughts in that damp darkness of a dungeon. I've served my master with honesty and with integrity for over 10 years. I am more faithful to him than his own wife. I stayed loyal to my God and my master, daily fleeing sexual immorality. What is my reward? A dungeon. He had very limited freedom in his life. But listen to Pastor, and this is where it gets hard. Now, this may not be applicable to anybody right now, but sooner or later a situation is going to come to you where it is. Or you're going to feel like I've betrayed you. You're going to feel like someone in the church betrayed you. Our pastor staff betrayed you. Someone from another church betrayed you. Your spouse betrayed you. Your parents betrayed you. Listen very carefully. And all of this that happened to Joseph that I've just described, he is still in total and complete control of his mind. He still had the right to choose his response to all that had happened to him. It's a choice. You can choose to be bitter toward your perpetrator, if you will. That may be a strong word to use, but let it suffice. You can choose to be bitter towards them or you can choose to forgive them, as Jesus said. It's a choice. You're feelings certainly after enough time has passed that you've passed the emotional stage of what's happened to you when you when a person has been obliterated emotionally by someone especially someone who is supposed to love them when you get past that huge unbelievable You can't estimate the damage. You can't estimate the hurt. That emotional response, when all of that passes and eventually it does, you still maintain and possess the right to respond to that person or persons however you see fit. You still have the right to choose your response, do you not? let me go back to my question. When you have been offended by someone or betrayed by someone, do you have the right to be offended? Would Joseph become offended and bitter towards his brothers and even eventually God because after all God is the one that gave him these dreams that caused all this mess in his life? (laughs) Would he give up all hope on the promised fulfillment of those dreams? And after he's been robbed of any fulfillment or of of hope for those dreams, then he realizes he's lost his identity? As Jacob's son, he's lost any any tie or right to his inheritance. Is there any other incentive for him to live? Why even live? I'll just terminate my own life here at this point. I believe, and I wrote about Joseph in, in my book, but I believe it never crossed Joseph's mind until it was all over, that this was God's process to prepare him to rule. This is a process that God chose for Joseph. And God knew all of this was going to happen to Joseph when he gave him those two dreams in the beginning. And this is where Joseph's response was so important. And I've I've, I've, I've pondered this material for a number of years. And I go through it periodically for my own devotion. But I wonder what the kingdom of God has missed out on. Because of preachers and saints that felt like I have a right to be offended and never follow through on the dream that God gave me. I wonder what we have been cheated of. Because that person could not work through. How many prophecies have we missed? How many sermons have we missed? How many Sunday school lessons have not been taught? How many prayers have not been prayed by those people who felt like they had a right to be offended? And their response to the offense terminated what God had planned for their life. I'm here to tell you tonight in no uncertain terms. And I I feel like my life isn't over. I hope it's not like my ministry is. I hope it's not. But I have been doing this for 30 years. And I've, I feel like sometimes uh, I've not reached any plateau or don't don't go there with me. I'm still growing and, 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 and trying to get better every day. But I do feel like I've been through enough things to realize in my own life that God has divinely moved me here to here to here to here. So I can ultimately be where I'm at today. Do you have do you have any idea? Do you have any idea tonight how many times I could have gotten offended and walked away? And so, as far as Pastor doing what he does tonight, this would have never happened had I done that. There was a pastor. Actually, I worked for the man. I was his associate pastor. That took me to the district board in the state of Ohio with three legal pages of over 18 accusations against me and wanted to have my ministerial license taken away. That hurts really bad. You've never heard that story. He didn't like me too much because there was a man in his church that I worked with him in that started liking me better than they liked their pastor. And so in a complete, total moment of honesty and transparency, which I am and you know by now, I went to the pastor and told him that story. I said, this man, and he had a lot of influence in that church, and he walked up to me after church. I preach that night, and he said, Brother Murphy, I can still see his hands and his expression in my head. He said, you wow the people. I knew immediately where that was going. I knew immediately where that was going. I went straight to the pastor. I said, I'm being totally transparent with you. I don't want anything to do with that. And I was terminated in three days. I kind of thought for a few days after that happened, I had a right to be offended and I could have walked away from the ministry. But look what I would have missed all these years. Y'all understand me tonight? Joseph was learning obedience and submission and faith through the conduit of his suffering. And had he never suffered, he would have never reached that place that those dreams would have taken him. He had to go through the conduit, suffering. His attitude, his character, and his integrity had to be proven if you're going to reach that place That God was leading him to. There's people here tonight. You've got things bottled up on the inside of you. And you can't get past where you were 20 years ago. That dream you started out with will never come to pass. Because you can't work through the offense. When we came here, and this story's old enough now to tell it. (coughs) When we came, the previous pastor had, had done some awful things to the church. And that church had a vote of confidence and they voted him out. He was dismissed <coughs> when Brother Murphy was elected pastor that night. I called immediately, called a trustee board meeting, and I was I was walking into the little makeshift office that was over on that side of the platform, and uh, like you'd walk through that door right into the office. It was so small you had to walk outside to change your mind. And uh, but I'll never forget that trustee board member looked at me and he said, "I want you to know." I'm done with this. I'm resigning the board. And I looked right back at him, and I stuck my finger in his face, which I hate to do. It's so rude to do that, but it just he just pushed me. I'd already been there and, and found out some things. It was about an inch right in front of his nose. And I said, no, you're not. I didn't do this, and you ain't sticking me with it. Me and you is going to ride this out till it's done. You're not resigning until there was a certain threshold that I had to cross. And I said, when we cross that threshold, then you can. We crossed that threshold in about three months. We had a trustee board meeting at my house. I went through all of the business that we had to talk about with the trustee board. And then I looked at this man and I said, brother, so-and-so has an announcement he needs to make tonight. I'll never forget it. He looked at me and he laughed. And his laugh was something like this. He just goes, And his face never changed expression. He didn't smile or anything. He he laughed. It just was noise. There was no smile or anything. He said, I think I'll stay on the board a while if y'all have me. See, if he had walked away when he wanted to because he had been offended, he would have missed out on several years of tremendous church growth and blessing and restoration and healing and all of that. Does anybody... Feel what I'm saying here tonight. Shake your head up and down. It'll make me okay. Perhaps when Joseph had his dreams, he saw them as confirmation of the favor of God on his life. He had not yet learned that authority that is given to serve. He hadn't learned that lesson. What God gave him was not to set him apart like his daddy did to him. It wasn't to set him apart. It was to teach him to serve. So when his daddy wouldn't teach him that, God had to do it. And it was a long process. So to Joseph, the bottom line was his brothers. They were the force that had thrown him into this dungeon. Maybe he entertained the thoughts of how things would be different once he was in power. And when God put him in the position of authority, he had... Seeing in the dreams that, boy, that would be his moment. How often do we hear our brothers and sisters fall into the same trap of assigning blame and our plotting and scream, uh, scheming to get even? I've heard people say, if it weren't for my wife, I'd be in ministry today. I've had men tell me that if it wasn't for my wife, it was her fault. I've heard people say, if it weren't for my parents, I would have had a normal life. They're to blame for who I am today and for where I am today. How others come to have normal parents just doesn't seem fair. I've been around long enough to say if my mom and dad, I've heard people say this, if my mom and dad hadn't divorced, I'd have been much better off in my own marriage. I've heard people say if it weren't for my pastor repressing this gift in me, I would be free and unhindered. I've heard people say that. I've heard people say if it wasn't for my former spouse, I wouldn't be in all this trouble that I'm in. The blame game. It's always somebody else's fault. I want to do my best tonight to chisel away at that mentality in the remaining few minutes that I have. It's easy to blame everyone else for the problems you have and imagine how much better off you would be if it had not been for them In your life, as Brother Jason preached masterfully this past Sunday morning, I want to emphasize the following point. There is absolutely no man, woman, child, or devil that can ever get you out of the will of God. No one holds your destiny and their hand but God. you're sitting here tonight and you've played the blame game and said if it wasn't for this and it wasn't for that and all of that kind of stuff then my life would be remarkably different and I'd just be a rip snort in the kingdom. I want to say tonight and we all know people that have been have had, had their back against the wall when it comes to circumstances. I want to be very careful here tonight but I, there's there's very difficult marital situations represented here tonight. There's Physical abuse represented here tonight. There's sexual abuse represented here tonight. There's emotional abuse represented here tonight. The list goes on and on and on. But I still say, greater is he that's in me. Joseph's brothers tried hard to destroy the dreams God gave him They thought they had ended it for Joseph and it was over and we'll never see this man again. They said out of their own mouth, come therefore let us now kill him and cast him into the pit and we will see what becomes of these dreams. So here's Joseph. How in the world could it get any worse? Well, it does. He's now in jail with two guys that used to work for Pharaoh and was served in in Pharaoh's court. And you know the story, they both had dreams and Joseph interpreted their dreams and one of them's dream said, you're going to die in three days. And the other one's dream said, you're going to be restored in three days. And Joseph said to that guy, remember me when you get back up to Pharaoh. And the Bible said that guy forgot about him. It just keeps getting worse. But keep in mind, come hell or high water, if you'll excuse a bra- expression, Joseph is still in control of his attitude and how he thinks about it. He's still in control nobody's taken his brain out of his head and put it in shackles and said this is the only way you can think from now on. Nobody did that, and nobody can do that to you. God always has a plan, and I want to call that plan very specifically tonight timing. Everybody say timing. I want you to understand tonight, and I, I, I want to I talk to your spirit. Those of you that can get your head around what I'm about to say, some can, maybe some can't. but You try to get your head around what I'm fixing to say. When you walk into this building, you walk into the prayer meeting, you walk into the worship service, and you say, God, I'm going to let you have your way in my life today. You've given God a parameter. understand that? It's like telling your child that when we go to the funeral home, you have to sit right here in this chair for two hours and stare at that casket until mama's ready to leave or daddy's ready to leave. But if you take them on a picnic and they go to the park, you can tell that child that you can go and just have a ball and do whatever you want to do. But you don't mean that. You don't mean it. You don't mean that once they get out of the car that they can go run out in the middle of the street that you just pulled up in, pulled up on. You understand that? It doesn't mean that if a man comes walking through the park with a trained vicious attack dog that your child can go pet that dog. When you say, son, daughter, you can go out there and have a good time you hope they understand that there are some good common sense parameters or some things that you can't do. You can't go up to the next little kid in the park and just bust him in the mouth. There are some parameters. When we walk in and tell God, you can have your way in my life, we're praying with a parameter. We don't mean to, but we do. What we're telling God is that we have all of these traditional values in our head that we've had for the past 40 years. And God you can have your way in my life, but if you want me to run the aisles, I'm going to have to draw the line right there. If you want me to jump up and down, I'm going to have to draw the line right there. If you want me to stand and testify, I'm going to have to draw the line right there. So you really don't mean that you can... God, you can have your way in my life. What you mean is that, God, you can have your way in my life based on preset parameters that you and I have discussed for the past 30 years that's what that means y'all with me what if God took you at your word and said you know what and I heard this story a number of years ago about a person came to church starch clothes I mean starch you could already bend his arm pants with starch and all that kind of stuff and just you know didn't want to wrinkle his clothes and didn't fasten the seat belt on the way to church because it'd wrinkly shirt and shoes was polished and all that kind of stuff. And, and he made an agreement with God. I'll go and I'll let you into my heart, but it's going to be on my terms. Well, he went up to the altar and invited God into his heart, and God just started rolling him like a 55-gallon drum from one wall to the other one and just bouncing him back and forth. The story I remember hearing about that, it went on for over an hour. When he got done, he looked like he just stepped out of a clothes dryer hair messed up, pouring and sweat, tears and snot all over his face and what have you. So when you say, God, have your way in my life, have your way in my marriage, have your way with me as a parent, have your way with me as a child of God, do you really mean that you're giving God a blank sheet of paper or are you giving God some parameters that he should by now Understand. I I apologize for that. I just wrecked a lot of people's mentality here tonight, but it's true. I have stood in this church right up there and watched a minister describe on several occasions, at least three, walk up to a person and say, this is what's wrong with you. This is what's going on in your life and God wants to heal you right now, boom. But because of those parameters, they couldn't get it. They were not healed, and they're still not because they have parameters. Because there's just certain things I don't care. I'm not going to do it. Y'all on board? That's what I love about new converts And that's why typically they have so many miracles happen in their life is because they don't have all these parameters set with God yet. We haven't taught them how to do that yet. They just have raw faith. It's like a child standing in a windowsill and jumping to their parent. I just believe you're going to catch me, so here I come. I'm jumping. They don't have time to learn all these parameters. God has a plan. For everybody in this building, he has a plan for your life. And there's people here tonight that have given up on that plan because of circumstances. They've given up on it. You've been mistreated. Marriage, parents, job, money, physical condition, abuse, all the things I've just named. things derail God's plan for our life unless we let it. Y'all understand that? Joseph had every reason in the world. There's people here tonight, if you'd have been a, a cellmate with Joseph, you'd encourage him to quit. You're God, man. God gave you all his dreams. He don't care about you. Apparently you're stupid. You're ugly. You know, whatever. He didn't, you didn't turn out the way God thought. Your your daddy ain't even looking for you. Your brother's betrayed you. Potiphar's wife, like everywhere you go, man, you just just fall in a hole. If I was you, I'd just quit. Here, here's a gun. Just go ahead and shoot yourself with it. Not in God's world. It's not how God works. If God has ever given you a dream, a plan, a destiny. You're the only one that can derail it. That's how you think. So let me hurry on. The time came when Pharaoh himself had a very alarming dream. None of his magicians or wise men could give him the explanation. It was then that the restored servant remembered Joseph about two years later. And he shared how Joseph interpreted his dream and his companion's dream. And Joseph was brought before Pharaoh, told him what the dream meant. Famine was coming. Wisely instructed him on how to prepare for the crisis. And what do you know, in just a few minutes, Joseph goes from a dungeon to standing by Pharaoh next to his throne. He was immediately, in just a few minutes, promoted to the second in command over all of Egypt. Later, when famine came to all the known nations, Joseph's brothers had to come to Egypt for food. If Joseph had held anything in his heart against his brothers, now would be the time to carry out any revenge or vindictiveness? He could have thrown them in prison for life. He could have had them tortured and even killed. He was the second in command in Egypt. Whatever he wanted, he could do it. This is the authority that God had planned for him. But Joseph had to go through a process to learn how to handle it and to handle it appropriately, even with those that betrayed him. I know tonight, I'm not naive here tonight. I'm not oblivious. I know this is a hard pill to swallow. But God has a plan, a destiny for your life. But you've allowed circumstances to change your thoughts about it. Now you think that it's all over. <coughs> to go one step further, let's look at what Joseph said to his brothers when they finally came to Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me. God did this to preserve life, or. These two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there will be neither earring or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you. You didn't do this, brethren, but God. God did it. God had a plan. He hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I find it interesting that Potiphar's wife was never mentioned. That story by now is so insignificant and so not prevalent, it don't bear even to be mentioned. But he could have had her tortured, imprisoned, whatever he wanted, Potiphar for that matter. Joseph was a big deal because God had a plan. So who sent Joseph, his brothers or God? We see of Joseph's own admission that it was God. Joseph said plainly to his brothers, it wasn't you, God did this. So as I've already said, no mortal man or devil can supersede the plan of God for your life. If you lay hold on this truth, it'll set you free. There's only one person. Who can get you out of the will of God. And that's you. You may have been serving the Lord fervently and have come into difficult life situations because of being mistreated by other by either wicked people or carnal Christians. The truth is that you've been treated unjustly. That's the truth. But to become offended would only fulfill the enemy's purpose of getting you out of the will of God. We must remember that nothing can come against us without God's knowledge of it before it ever happens. God knew Joseph was going to go through all of this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath been no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. So remember, you stay submitted to God by not becoming offended. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? You refuse to be offended. I am not going to get my feelings hurt to the point that it will cause me to shut down in my relationship with God. I'm not going to allow my feelings to get so hurt that I'm not going to sing in the praise team. I'm not going to play mu- uh, an instrument. I'm not going to be an usher. I'm not going to be a greeter. I'm not going to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm not because if I do, I'm playing right into what the devil wants me to do. So the way I resist the devil in my life is to refuse to be offended. The psalmist said, Blessed are they that love thy law and. Nothing shall offend them. That's how you resist the devil. You do not become offended. So let me ask you the question again. Do you have the right to be offended? I hope now the answer makes sense. If you say yes, that's what the devil wants you to say. And he's going to do everything he can to make sure you get offended. You'll play right into his hands. He loves it. And he'll laugh. Look at that fool. Man, I made this jerk. And all of this happened. And look at them now. They don't even go to church anymore because they've been offended. Think about it. What do you accomplish when you quit the plan of God in your life, the will of God in your life because you've been offended. What is accomplished? Who are you getting even with? God. Think about it. So the next time I hurt your feelings so bad, you can't stand it. I can't believe Pastor did that. He crushed me. He hurt my feelings so bad. And then Brother Merrill came right along behind him. It was like they just agreed. They had this plan that pastor's going to offend me, then he's going to come do it, and then Brother Dave's going to do it. And then right down the line here they all come, and one person in church offends me right after the other. And then I go home, and my spouse hurts my feelings. And I call up my kids, and then they hurt my feelings. And I go to work, and I get my feelings hurt there. So I'm just going to quit everything. I'm going to quit. I'm going to throw the towel in and quit. what do you accomplish? Who wins? No question, offense. Now I'm using it tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm using it tonight on a pretty much a church level. You know, if, a, if I offend someone or and I have, and forgive me. <laughs> uh, we've all been offended by somebody. We've been the offender. We have offended people on occasion. But this can apply anywhere. It can Apply in marriage. It can apply on parenting. It can apply on the job. The devil, that's that's why I'm teaching this material. It's one of the greatest tools that he uses, especially on Christian people. He knows you're not going to be tempted by a cigarette. He knows you're not going to be tempted by adultery, hopefully. He knows you're not going to be tempted by alcohol, hopefully. He knows you're not going to be tempted by gambling boats and all of that, hopefully, and the lottery and all that kind of stuff. So what can he use to really sidetrack you and derail you? Is your friends or family offending you so that you quit? That's the point. And he'll use anything. The devil don't care. He has nothing to lose. He knows what his destiny is, and he can't repent of it. He don't care. He don't care about you and your family. He don't care about your ministry. He don't care about your job, your car, your home, your marriage. He don't care about nothing. He don't care about anything. All he wants to do is destroy you. In the In the church world, The greatest greatest tool that he uses summarily across the board is people who are offended. How many people do we know tonight that will not step foot in a church anywhere? There's people tonight that won't step in certain churches anywhere because they've been offended. So what does that do to God's plan in their life? How far can they go with it? The beauty of Joseph, and, and I, I wrote about it in my book, I believe God called the man to have the living daylights beat out of him everywhere he went by everybody he encountered and comes out smelling like a rose to prove the point that when you're not offended, God can take you places you can't even dream about and he'll take you there in a way that you never thought possible. Why do I have to work this stupid job and why not be married to this person? And while I have all these ignorant kids and all that, that may be God's way, man, of taking you to the other side. It may be the very things that saves you. And I'm in Scripture on that. Read about Paul's life. So, the best way to resist the devil is if he tempts you with a bud light and the person with the opposite sex, and God knows in our society now the person of the same sex if he tempts you in any way or whatever, he knows probably he's wasting his time. But if he can get to you by that person sitting next to you, it's supposed to be a Christian. Oh, they're supposed to love God. They're supposed to love everybody. You know, they're they're not supposed to do These people are way up here. You know, if it was a sinner guy, an old drunkard down here, I could take it, but this guy up here, man, he's a person of respect and person of character and person of integrity. They just don't offend anybody ever. Who the devil sees that? He's not stupid. He's tracked mankind for 6,000 years. He knows how you think. You're not new to the devil. Your personality's not new. Your habits aren't new. There's been a million people just like you that's lived before you. He's had good practice, man. And if he can get to you, through someone else, he'll do it. So the way you resist him is by saying, "No, I'm not going to be offended." Pastor offended me. I'm going. I'm going to be in church and next service. So and so offended me last Sunday. I'm the first person. I'm going to shake their hand and hug their neck and tell them I love them anyway. Try it and see how big of a person it makes you into. You don't crawl to that person. Square your shoulders, put your chin in there. Hey, brother, how are you, man? Glad to see you. You crushed me in the dirt last Sunday. Don't say that, but you're thinking it. Boy, you crushed me the other day. You hurt my feelings the other day, but I love you anyway. Try and see what happens. You'll turn around and walk away going, Huh, I handled that. What do you think about that now? Devil? Well... Jesus said offenses would come because he knew that would be a tool that the devil would use against you. I'm not done with this material. Uh, I've made an executive decision to will not have church next Wednesday night in light of the Miracle Crusade. To just give you an extra night at home to get things done, so you can come out Friday night to the Miracle Crusade, hopefully. And uh, but I'm not done with this material. We're gonna we're gonna keep on it. Don't want everybody to get you get your head around it, people are going to offend you in every facet of life. And the devil waits for your response. When you keep on going and you plow through, God can do a whole lot with that and the devil don't know what to do. So when you get your feelings hurt, pray through it, approach the person, get it worked out, and uh, keep moving forward. Everybody on board? board everybody's on board okay all right I'm done they've been out in the lobby for 10-15 minutes I'll teach them for dismissing early uh so God bless you thank you for your time your patience your attention appreciate it deeply God bless you you're dismissed tonight